Today, we're going to talk to Chris, who's going to tell us a little bit about how he went from being a biology major to running a pizzeria to now making millions of dollars on Amazon off of only 10 products. He's also going to tell us how we can protect ourselves against infringement and how he has an 85% success rate with getting hijackers removed from listings. Say what? How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast. My name is Bradley Sutton and sitting next to me here, I'm doing this a little bit more often. I'm bringing people in to record these podcasts, especially when they live here in Southern California. And we have a Redondo Beach, is it? That's right. Redondo Beach native here, Chris Lyle. And Chris, how's it going? It's going great. How are you doing? I'm doing just delightful. So Chris, we met at first, I think, was it the Billion Dollar Summit over in Austin, Texas? Yep. Cool. And uh, I remember you had told me that you had a couple cool, cool tactics you wanted to share with our audience, which I think they'll get a kick out of. But before we get into that, you know, you know we, we've met a couple of times since then, but I really don't know too much about your backstory. And I always like to to find out the, the origin story of, of who I talk to. Always there's interesting um, there's interesting stories that you guys have about everybody seems to take a different path, uh, you know, in their e-commerce e-commerce journey or their life journey. And I always just like to get different, different aspects. So first of all, where are you uh, from? Actually, are you, were you born in California? Yep. I was born in Los Angeles, California, moved around a little bit, uh, spent some time in Merced, California. And then after high school, went to school in Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara. Okay, cool. So in Santa Barbara, I'm assuming is that UC Santa Barbara? That that is. Well, yep. What did you uh, study there? I actually studied biology, biology. Okay. I love it. Always when I ask that question, it's like something completely different. Like, you know, guys, there's no BA in Amazon marketing at at this time. I'm sure there will be, you know, soon, but people come from all different kinds of backgrounds. So after college, what, what was your career like? So I actually uh, did a little bit of real estate um, for the first couple of years. Didn't really have any idea what I wanted to do. My degree was originally to go to school to become a dentist. Decided I didn't want to be stuck in an office working on people's mouths every day. Um, and so I actually opened up a, a pizzeria up in Seattle randomly after my um, real estate uh, ventures. And that was my uh, first. That re- seems like a very typical thing to do. Hey, uh, study in Santa Barbara and open a pizzeria in Seattle. Very logical step there. What Can you tell me a little bit about how in the world you came to that idea? Yeah. So my, my dad actually had previously owned a small chain of pizzerias in Seattle and um, had sold them at one point in there was an opportunity to kind of pick up another pizzeria that was up there. And so I had no real direction of where I was going at the time. So I jumped at the idea to pay a couple thousand dollars and, and open up a pizzeria that was uh, in that one of those locations there. OK, that makes a little bit more sense now when you when you put it that way. So you're in your early mid 20s running a pizzeria up there. What happened with that? Uh, did well, just didn't really like Seattle. I'm sorry for anybody that lives in Seattle, but uh, a little too rainy. It was one of the, like the worst winters they had had in 20 years. There was actually snow locally. And so I was just ready to get out and get back to the beach cities. Um, and so we uh, built the business up and we were able to sell it for a substantial profit. And that kind of got my entrepreneurial spirit rolling and it's kind of been going ever since. Okay. So when did you start venturing online was Amazon your first online venture or were you one of those ones who started on eBay or something like that first or yeah Amazon was my first real e-commerce venture um I had owned a uh, large call center for um different customer service and consolidations for student loans 
And I decided that that was a little bit too much. I had a lot of employees, didn't like the stress that was kind of taking over my life um, running that big of a company. And so I had stepped down and uh, decided that I wanted to do something that was just me as my own boss. And so I ventured into the Amazon world, watching YouTube videos and listening to people like Manny Coates on his AMPM podcast. And so this is recent. This is like in the last four years when you, you yep. started. Okay. It's been about three years since I started. Cool. Cool. And then did you take any course to learn on Amazon or? Nope. Just... I taught myself uh, through lots of trial and error. Um, like you're I still said, selling your first product. I am still selling my first product. Okay. Usually, usually when I ask that, they're like, no. So I'm like, okay, go ahead and tell us what it is. And they're like, ah, I sold a fidget spinner or a garlic press. And we get a kick out of like their first product. So, but that's pretty good. That shows that right off the bat, you must have, you know, had a knack for at least the, the product research part, because if you can hit a home run on your, on your first product that you're still selling three, four years later, that's, that's pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah. So I researched, uh, this one product, I found it and I was really antsy. And so I, before even getting a sample, I decided I wanted to buy $5,000 worth and I had it shipped directly into Amazon. Wow. From China, from China, sight unseen, never even saw a sample, let alone the actual product Yep, and took off right away. That's awesome. So now we fast forward, you know, we'll talk a little bit about filling in the blanks, but, but about how many products or how many SKUs do you have right now? And, and what's your, what's your 2019 estimated total sales going to be? So right now I have about, let's see here. We have nine, 10 SKUs right now um, that we're managing or that I have, and then managing a couple other different people's brands. But uh, I think our total revenue this year will probably be about $5 million. Off of 10 SKUs? Yes. Wow. So do you have a million dollar SKU? In yes, there? we do. Wow. That's awesome. That's 1.75 awesome. million on one SKU. 1.75. Was that your first product? It was. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. So the product that you just completely ordered blind, didn't even get a sample four years ago. And that one product is still to this day making, or now it's, it's 1.75 million. That's year. right. Yep. That is it. What kind of BSR does it have in the category? I think it's like a hundred, 125. Wow. That's, that's crazy. That's really great. So tell me a little bit about some of your failures. So along the way, or, you know, obviously you did not just order sight unseen every single product since then, but I'm sure something might've, might've happened that it was like, Oh my God, this is a disaster. How did this happen to me? I've had quite a few of those. Um, you know, obviously my first product was a, was kind of a home run. Very lucky to have picked that product. Um, I've had a couple other products that I didn't know exactly what I was doing. And I hear a lot of people call them the me too products. You know, mm -hmm. I had a, an idea for a wallet that I thought was going to be a home run. I probably have a thousand of those sitting in my garage. I have a couple other products that I had purchased that didn't realize um, were going to be kind of a, a, a large return type product where we're in the 10 or 20 percent return. And when you have those products being returned or you have issues with electronics and things like that, your margin get eat, gets eaten up so quickly. So those are two of the issues I've had. But one of the products um, that I actually had bought um, from Alibaba and sent into China as well um, had some product or some, sorry, patent infringement issues uh, that had come up that kind of left me or lead, led me into the path that I'm in today now with patent infringement, um, helping people um, actually enforce their patents as well as trademark uh, enforcement as well. So then, so then what happened was you were like, Hey, here's a good idea for a product. And I see there's demand. I'm going to make one. And then all of a sudden you get hit with, with a message saying that, Hey, we have this patented, you guys are infringing our patent. Is that, 
in a nutshell, kind of what happened to you? Yeah. So I got like the, what they call the email of death, where it basically said your account's been suspended. You can either have the rights owner retract your, retract their complaint against you or provide us with a invoice that we can verify against, you know, the manufacturer that this product is and is, or is the real thing and that you have permission to sell it. Um, and did so, you have all of your products on that same Amazon account? I did. So then your whole entire, you know, multi-million dollar business went to a screeching halt during yep. this time. Yep. It was, wow. it was very scary. I had a lot of money out in inventory. Um, didn't really know what I was going to do. Um, and so basically I spent the next, I'd say 72 hours researching everything you can imagine in regards to not only patents and trademark, but how it works within Amazon. It's not a normal business that you can, um, you know, just call somebody up at Amazon and say, Hey, I'm having an issue. Can you guys help me out? I didn't realize I was doing this or that. Okay. So, I mean, I'm just trying to like wrap my mind around how you must have felt, you know, at this time, like, are we talking last year or when, when was it? This was in 2000, uh, I think it was at the beginning of 2017. Okay. Beginning of 2017. So you were sitting high and mighty, like who I went from pizzas in, in rainy weather to just making ridiculous amount of money on Amazon. And I'm assuming that was that at that point, hundred percent of your income, like had you been selling, are you, were you selling it on brick and mortar or in other websites or anything, or was pretty much hundred percent of your income from Amazon at that point? That was my only income. It was your only income. Now was this report that they made? Was it legit? I mean, like, did they literally have the correct patent and were you infringing on them or were they kind of twisting things or? So this product I had bought was actually a product that I thought was the real product I bought from Alibaba. So I actually bought a branded box that was for this specific product and I put it in to sell almost as if it was like arbitrage. Um, and so, yes, I was infringing on the patent, but the person who had been emailed or that I had emailed, the email they provided for me to contact the so-called rights owner was actually not the real rights owner. So I emailed the person, asked them, hey, you know, I, I made a total mistake. I want to try to get my inventory out. Is there any way I can pay you a, a you know, a licensing fee for these 500 units or 1,000 units I have and I'll stop selling? And the person responded back quickly and said, please send me your invoice and I'll get back to you. They never got back to me. So for four days, I emailed the guy probably 50 times saying, please, please, you know, I have basically just trying to get my account reinstated. Didn't really care what I was going to lose on that product, um, but that product itself um, I realized that that wasn't the patent owner and I actually went on the USPTO and actually looked up who the patent owner of this product was and contacted their attorney directly and said, hey, I want to license this product. I think somebody's infringing, I'm sorry, impersonating your company on Amazon and is dictating what's happening with your brand and you guys have no control of your brand. So, so hold on here. So basically what it seems like happened was that the actual patent was valid. And yes, you unknowingly, you know, it's not like you purposely are going and, and trying to copy somebody. Right. You un unknowingly got it. And so, yes, technically you're infringing on the patent. But the one who reported you was not even the actual company that that how, how did you how did you figure out that it wasn't the, the legit company? Well, so after I started looking a little bit deeper into it, the first thing was the English of the response was not English. It was like Chinese uh, translated English, you could tell it was a broken like Google up. translated. Stuff yeah. There, uh -huh. But also, you know, for such a large brand that this ended up being um, their brand name, they didn't, they had a website, but the email address was an at outlook.com email address. And I was like, I highly doubt a company that's doing this much volume has a, just an at outlook.com address. Yeah. And so after I contacted that attorney, I got connected with an infomercial company 
um, who does the as seen on TV type products, which is what this was. Um, and after being able to actually discuss and talk with them, I realized it was a much greater issue that they were having. They were having this with a lot of their products. And so I worked out a deal with them, basically a, a short-term distribution agreement and said, look, I can get rid of every single person on your listing. After my 72 hours of research, I was an expert, of course. If I can get rid of every person on your listing, I want to be able to sell your product exclusively on Amazon and I'll continue to police your listings. Now, at this point, you know, as this conversation is going, you're still suspended. Suspended. What day are we in now? Uh, I think this is probably March of 2017. So we're like, no, but like 20, what, what, oh, what day of, of your suspension? We're like 20 days in. Oh my goodness. So this is, wow. It wasn't just three or four or five days. So you're 20 days of nothing going on. Yep. And so then they said yes, or. Well, they said, Hey, we, you know, we hired somebody in house to try to do this and, um, it's not really working out. So I think, you know, it sounds like, you know what you're doing. Let's, let's give you a shot. So they gave me a shot and they basically gave me the rights to enforce their patent. They gave me the copies of the patents and they let me go on Amazon um, and basically go in and try to get. But how, how did you, how did you prove? Cause you know, a lot of people who are in this, once they get in this cycle of death, mm-hmm. a spiral of death, yep. what's that thing in an ocean whirlwind or, yeah. or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's all computers and you can't even get to a real person. Like how did you even get to present your case to Amazon and say, Hey guys, slow your roll here. This is not the right company. Here's this proof. And here's this proof. How did you even get to get in front of a human being to. So I left one part out. I I forgot to mention. So in my 50 emails to the fake rights owner, I offered him $5,000 prepaid to retract the complaint, to let me sell through my product. Little did he know that as soon as he retracted that complaint and let me back onto Amazon, which I paid him. Mm-hmm. Um, once I was back on Amazon, I was able to get their brand brand registry and then take over from there. The brand registry from the real rights owner. Correct. Now was that guy who was reporting you, was he one of the other sellers that he, was on there or he was just some random guy trying to take advantage of the situation? He was a counterfeit seller as well. He tricked Amazon. He didn't have brand registry. I don't mm-hmm. know how he got ownership of that listing, but that, that guy had a lot of sales. I mean, he was doing, you know, 500, 600 a week mm-hmm. of that product and he was kicking everybody off. So he was owning that actual listing. So if you hadn't done that, then it might've been like what I said, like you might not have been able to even present your case to Amazon to, to, to prove that this is the wrong guy. Like you almost had to bite the bullet and, and I mean, at the time you paid that 5,000 is because at that time you thought it was legit or, or you already knew that, that he wasn't at that point. Oh, I thought it was legit. And I, all I wanted was to get my other, other act, other, uh, listings active. I didn't care about this particular brand. Yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, you might've had to, you know, even if you knew he was counterfeit, you might have still, it probably would have been worth it for you just to go ahead and say, okay, fine. I'll pay you the 5,000. I'll, I'll eat that because. I can't even get my, my account back active so that I can start taking over the brand registry and stuff like that. Right. And so once I got him to let me back on and I was in the talks with this infomercial company, I was just really frustrated that that was possible on Amazon. And I know there's tons of people who probably deal with this every day. Mm-hmm. You read in all the different Facebook groups and different things we're in. People always talk about the hijackers that have, that they're on their listing. Um, and so for me, it kind of became, I was really just kind of obsessed with dealing with the patent and trademark stuff. And so I wanted to implement my skills that I learned um, across other brands and actually start working 
um, for other companies to be able to do this brand or excuse me, patent and trademark enforcement. Okay. So now you said that because of that crazy research you were doing in that first 72 hours, which I'm sure you did not sleep very much. Matter of fact, I didn't sleep much last night. I, I was preparing since you're coming to our elite workshop tomorrow, right? Yep. I was up until six in the morning <laughs> making the slides. So I'm going to, I hope you enjoy my hard work. So I could just imagine you or like me staying up, reading a whole bunch of law books or whatever until three in the morning, six in the morning each night. And you said at that time, you actually discovered a way to be able to kick off other sellers. Now, when I say kick off other sellers, are we talking about legitimate recent, like people were selling the actual product because they wholesaled it? Or, or we're talking about people who were buying fake product and just selling it as this brand? So there's there was two different ways that this was happening. People were buying, whether it was on clearance or other ways of getting the product at a discounted price. And they were selling that on Amazon. But there was also the issue with the counterfeiters who are buying the fake product from China. And it looks just like the real one, just like a lot so of products. Both. Yeah, it was it, both. It, it's, there, there was legitimate product, but you know they were kind of buying it and reselling it. So maybe technically not new or something, but then there was the actual counterfeit. So does your method you're about to enlighten us on apply to both or only one, or is it a different method for each of those kind of sellers or what? So this method will work for anything that's on your specific listing. So we got introduced into a program and I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Other sellers I'm sure have called the transparency program that yes. Amazon has. And so when we first started, tell everybody, tell everybody real quick, because I would say 95% of our listeners, I know what it is, but 95% of our listeners might not understand what transparency is. So the transparency program. So a lot of people want to get what's called brand gating. So somebody cannot get onto your listing without approval from you. If you're a smaller brand, which is the majority of the brands that we talk or people we talk with um, don't have the ability to do that. So the transparency program essentially is um, a sticker barcode program. Each barcode is going to be its own individual, like a license plate. And it's, they're given to you by Amazon and you put them into QR codes and those codes get stuck on each of your products. So each product has its own individual license plate and those have to match up with the barcodes that Amazon has in their fulfillment center. So if you were to go to send in your product and it didn't have one of these legitimate barcodes on it, Amazon will basically mark it as defective and make you pull it out of Amazon. So essentially you're creating a gate because if your product doesn't have the proper barcoding on it. So if somebody's selling a fake product, they send it in, they don't have that barcode. They are not going to be able to get past the gate of the fulfillment center of Amazon. So it's not like the typical brand gating, which might as well mention what that is too, where nobody can even list product on a certain brand with a certain brand name on Amazon, unless they have been ungated. This is kind of like, even without that typical brand gating, this is a kind of way to quote unquote, gate your product because once it arrives at Amazon, if it doesn't have that barcode, they're not going to accept it into their inventory. That's correct. Okay. So now we know what transparency is. We know what brand gating is. Let's talk a little bit about the first kind of seller, because what like I used to work for a diet pill company mm -hmm. and, and they sell in every Walmart and every Target, they're on infomercials everywhere. And what was happening was the people were, you know, buying it off of Walmart, you know, when they do a big discount or, or maybe trying to order it in bulk, maybe buying from you know, these Walmart and Kmart, you know, lots where the pallet gets damaged and they just trying to wholesale it out by the pallet. What's that called? Uh, liquid, liquid, liquidation, liquidation people. So they, people were able to resell for a cheaper price than what the actual company was selling. But what they were worried about was, Hey, this is an ingestible product. This is a diet pill, right? 
even if somebody just buys the product from Walmart off the shelf, you know, this stuff has a year and a half shelf life. It could be sitting in their car for a year and two months in the sun, whatever, or frozen somewhere. You know, we have no idea. Right. And then they're reselling it as new. Now, if somebody gets sick off of something, they're ingesting it because it, it hasn't been stored in the ideal circumstances. They're not going to go after that Amazon seller. They're going after that brand name because, hey, I'm taking this brand name product. And so they're like super concerned about liability. Yes, technically it was the actual product. You know, it's kind of hard to counterfeit, you know, a diet pill, you know, so it was the actual product, but they felt that it was kind of uh, infringement and actually a safety, you know, issue, but they never were able to really get Amazon to take action to kick these other guys off. They're like, Oh, you know, they give the one I'm sure you're very familiar with. Oh yes. Um, we don't police distribution agreements or whatever that, that standard thing is, you know, so, you know, I'm sorry, you'll have to take care of that yourself. So for them, you know, if, if Chris, you know, showed up at my old office there, how would you have advised them to take care of those other sellers? So one of the ways that transparency originally started and, and still what they require is they want you to put those stickers on every product or excuse me. Every SKU, if you if it's under the transparency program, they want every single one of those products you produce to have those barcodes on it. So if you're sending it even to Walmart or Target, because mm, it's not branded, right, yeah. um, they will have it in every single sales channel. And so you can identify where that actual product came from, what lot, what everything came from, right? So I can actually scan the QR code. I can see the specific number that it was associated to. And I can say, okay, I sold these 5,000 units. To Walmart, this person that's reselling is coming from Walmart. What happened with this lot? Now, most people do not want to do this. So obviously, if you're just an Amazon seller, no problem. It's not selling anywhere else. You throw your transparency code on, you're protected because if they're selling, once that uh, transparency code's been scanned one time in the fulfillment center, it cannot come back through. So, so somebody can't buy it discounted and try to resell it through. It's not only just a like a FN SKU, which is the same for every product. It's actually a unique code per product. Every single one has its own unique. So they have to scan it one by one into FBA. That is correct. Ah, I didn't know that. Now, now, is this what you were using in 2017 when you got back on Amazon and then you had made that deal with that company saying, hey, I'm going to help kick off all your other sellers. Was transparency around back then or were you doing something else? No. So originally we were just submitting. I mean, it was constant submitting of infringement reports. You know, I had a big issue with one of the, the, the guy that I actually had paid that money to um, realized what had happened. And he was coming after me. He had hacked my computer. It's kind of a crazy story. Oh my God. This guy hacked my computer, sent me my distribution agreements on my personal email. I'm like, how does this guy know my email? My email has nothing to do with my name. Um, he was sending products to my house saying, we know where you live. Like crazy stuff. Like I literally have the most sophisticated <laughs> oh surveillance God. system at my house at this point. My girlfriend at the time when I was getting installed, goes, what's going on? Why are we doing this? I'm like, oh, I have this crazy Chinese seller who's very upset with me. She's like, wait, I thought you sold on Amazon. This isn't like the mafia. What's going on? I'm like, I think we just took a lot of money out of this guy's pocket and he's not happy. Um, but so they would get me kicked off, even though they didn't have rights to do it. I mean, it was a mess with Amazon. And after so many infringement submissions with my attorney and everything, we finally were introduced to the beta program of transparency, which is now available to people. It's very hard to get set up with them still for whatever reason. Um, but that's what we used today. But back then it was literally just having to go through constantly submitting infringement reports, probably four or five times a day, just constantly following up because new people would pop on all the time. So then what basis 
would you be submitting these infringement reports? Because that's still a method that sometimes works on something. So like, when would it be, you know, like obviously if somebody doesn't have transparency or, or they just don't have the capacity, you know, another step would be these infringement reports. But when it's an actual legit product, like what, how are you portraying it to Amazon as infringement? So they don't have a distribution agreement when they buy that product. Um, now, our, the way the attorneys do it at this point is anybody that sells, they send a cease and desist letter and they give them 48 hours to remove. A person can email us and say, hey, I bought this in a wholesale lot. I have 25 units. Please let me sell through. Right. But if somebody's figured out a way, most of the time, if they're selling, it's only a couple of products. We're not wasting our time. When somebody has 500, 1,000, 1,500 products on there, they do not have the right to distribute. And so the attorney itself, We'll send that cease and desist letter. If there's no response or it's not a response that we want, they will submit or I will submit on behalf of um, the brand uh, an infringement complaint. After that, the person can email me if there's an issue. And if, if for some reason we're like, hey, we made a mistake, we should let this person back on. You can easily retract the complaint in 24 hours. You're not actually getting them suspended from Amazon. They're getting the listing suspended by the infringement report. So they've changed the way they've did it. Back then when I got suspended, I was off. I don't know why now they're a little bit more lenient. Um, but before it was, you were, you were off. Now it is like ASIN based, not necessarily account based, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. So then, you know, this is things change on a monthly basis on Amazon. That was 2017. Now we're in 2019. What are some, you know, I know you've helped people, you know, before, or, or maybe some things that have happened to yourself on either side of it, like maybe somebody infringing on you or the opposite. Somebody was illegally or not correctly accused of infringement. Like, can you give some examples in the, in the last here in 2019, something that's happened to you or something, you know, one of your network or one of your friends that, you know, without mentioning exact names and products that you could tell us a, a yeah. nice well, story. So one of the things that we've gotten into, so now that we've figured out how to actually kind of keep your channel clear and make sure people aren't suppressing your pricing or excuse me, eroding your pricing. One of the big issues that we've seen is, okay, I can control my brand, but if I have a patent, how do I stop the other 22 listings that aren't using my brand name from actually, you know, selling and, and competing against me? Mm -hmm. um, and so basically what we've done, and we now do this, we manage this for brands specifically is We've, we actually sued on behalf of one brand. We sued Amazon um, and we went to arbitration or we were going to arbitration. Um, and we, with our attorney, we have an in-house counsel now for our company that does this, but basically they had offered us an internal contact at Amazon to do a, a patent evaluation. Um, and basically we submit all of our paperwork and what we see as an infringing portion of our utility patents or the ones that we manage. And with Amazon, we basically submit a list of ASINs that we believe are infringing. And Amazon basically gives them 21 days to respond, all those ASINs. If Amazon, see, if any of those people respond and say, we don't think we're infringing, both parties have to put up a specific amount of money, $4,000 each, and they will decide who was infringing, who wasn't. Whoever wasn't infringing um, would be able to keep their listing and get their money back. But if not, they yank that entire catalog listing off of Amazon for good. So one of the companies that we do the brand management for, we actually submitted um, this patent evaluation and we were able to get 147 ASINs removed within 21 days after submitting to our internal contact at Amazon. So there's huge success stories like that where we've actually figured out because Amazon doesn't want to be the police, but if you actually have an attorney that can contact their internal contacts, we're able to get 
a, a significant amount of people removed that were infringing that we really had no way to control except for just continually submitting and they just keep popping back up. Do you help the other side of, of the, the coin too? Like somebody in your, in your boat mm -hmm. in 2017 where either some counterfeit person is able to get you kicked off or maybe, you know, they're the actual rights owner, but they really don't have a patent or, or, you know, you're not doing anything wrong. Like have you, have you been able to reverse that process at all? I've, I've helped somebody like, you know, people who we talk to on these different forums and through Facebook and stuff like that. I've helped other people, but my company that I have now, which we do a lot of brand management, we actually do that only on the side of people that are infringing on our patents. We try to get their listings clear and make sure they're not having any issues with their channel management. Because what's happening a lot of times is somebody's going to come on and sell a fake product. Let's say your 1999 is your MSRP. Well, they get it made in China for so cheap and they can beat everybody else who's selling the real product by selling, let's say at 1499. If you're selling in Walmart and Target for 1999, they're not going to be too happy when there's a competing product for $5 less yeah. and all the business goes to Amazon. And so that's what we basically done is try to control that channel for them. So it's just like another retail distributor. All right. So we mentioned a little bit about brand gating. Like in my experience, that's almost like completely random. Like in the last couple of years, like just Amazon will just decide, like you can ask Amazon till the cows come home, please give me brand gating, please be. And, and sometimes even if you have proof of, lot of infringement and they're just like you know that's you know no <laughs> or or maybe but and then all of a sudden another account i was looking at a friend's account they never asked for it once and then one day i was looking at their account they had brand gating on their brand they never had any issues or anything so you know that was that's been a year since i really looked into this but is that still the case is it kind of just random or or is there actual a process that you can go through that'll give you a good chance to get the other kind of brand gating so I think about three years ago, there were people or attorneys who used to promise brand gating. Um, that's no longer really available. I don't know what it is that is triggering them to allow that. You have to be a very big brand. But again, like you just said, sometimes it's just totally random. Like that person, I don't know how big their, yeah, their sales volume is. Big. Maybe maybe a million dollars. I don't know. Or like 500,000 to a million. Yeah, a year, so. And so for the amount of infringement issues that we have, You'd expect them to open up the door to, or the conversation for us. We have not had that. The only thing they've offered us is, again, that internal contact for mm -hmm. patent infringement. But also they say, hey, we have a great opportunity for you to create your own brand gate by using our transparency program. Yeah. So do you, do you see any, I mean, some of these, I'm not sure that I'm sure there's still litigation going on, but I was reading somewhere like this week or last week or last month, there was an article about how somebody had sued or, or something. And now Amazon is liable for things that third party sellers can do. You know, before it was like, Hey, if a third party seller sells something, that brand or that manufacturer, they're liable. You can't, you can't really take Amazon, but, but now supposedly something just passed, uh, where they're like, no, Amazon can be liable too. So if that sticks, like, I mean, obviously you're not Nostradamus, but do you have any predictions as far as how that might change anything? I think it would make them a lot more perceptive or receptive, excuse me, to um, the issues where brands are saying, look, this guy's selling a fake product because when you sell fake products, there are no tests for quality or anything like that. And if Amazon could be stuck holding the bag for liability, they're going to, I think, open their eyes up a little more to this. Right now, they're turning a blind eye. The only way that you can do anything is you kind of almost have to initiate some sort of suit against them to actually speak to somebody higher level that can listen to your problems. Um, the other thing I think that's going to happen if they do that is Amazon's going to require proof of product liability insurance. They want you to have the responsibility. So even if Amazon is, uh, quote unquote, 
you know, responsible, they're going to come and try to mitigate their loss by coming after your insurance. So there is the opportunity um, out there where, you know, people are going to have to, you know, basically get product liability insurance or have legitimate liability insurance. You can't have just a fly by night seller on there yeah. selling BS products. Cool. Cool. Well, what, what's, um, let's, let's give some people some hope out there, but you know, a lot of people I see on message, not message boards. We don't call them message boards anymore. I'm to 1998, <laughs> uh, Facebook groups and different things. You know, they've been trying for weeks and, and months to get, you know, other sellers kicked off, but using some of the strategies, you know, that, that you help sellers with yourself or, or that you advise them on. And, and of course, if they have all their correct information, you know, this is an actual legit, you know, claim and, and there's a legit case to be made and they have the trademark and all that stuff. What kind of success rate, you know, using the right strategy, can people expect to, you know, if they tackle these issues in this way about getting people kicked off that they need to get kicked off? So it's an ongoing battle. Even if you do get your initial you know, clearing of your listing people, if it is a, a highly counterfeit product, people are going to keep popping on. Um, com- people that use our company, it's called 10F, 10X Growth Partners. We offer a uh, money back guarantee on some of the things that we offer, especially the patent infringement issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say, you know, 80, 85%, if you actually have the wow. proper documentation, you have brand registry, you should be able to get people removed that aren't supposed to be on your listing. 85%. That's awesome. Now you said you used to listen to the AMPM podcast. Do you remember Manny's catchphrase? What, what would he say to that? If you knew that you could get 85%, he would say, how cool is that? Pretty cool. I think. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So uh, you just mentioned the, the name of your company. I, I didn't catch it. Can you, can you say it again? Is that some, is that, is there a website that people can, if they have more questions that, you know, a 30 minute podcast here doesn't, doesn't answer, how can they reach out to you to, to get some help with their listing? Yeah, you can go to our website. It's 10xgrowthpartners.com. 10xgrowthpartners.com. And then there'll be a contact form on there. Contact form. There's a phone number to call our office um, or email, whatever is easiest. And I'll take a look at, I look at every single person that calls us. I take a look at their actual individual situation and advise them if they would need our assistance or if there's a simple fix. You know, I believe in paying it forward. I'm going to help people and just say, look, all you need to do is this, this, and this. You don't need to pay us to help you. Um, and again, we have a general counsel on board that does a patent review so we can tell you what Amazon would or would not accept. So there's a lot of resources that we can help you guys out with and, uh, look forward to chatting with some people. Cool. And if you guys are the 15% that it doesn't work for, remember, do not go trying to find Chris's home and try and uh, harass him. He has got a state of the art security system. You'll be on camera. That's right. And I'll send the videos into helium 10. There we go. And we're going to put it on the FBA high rollers there. Anyways, Chris, thank you very much for coming on here. I'm going to be seeing you tomorrow again at the Elite Workshop. Just real brief, you know, we, we haven't talked much about other Amazon strategy, but you, you mentioned that you've been using Helium 10 for a while. You're an Elite member. So what are, what are a couple of your favorite functions or what does your team use Helium 10 the most for, would you say? So at this point, one of the things that we use it for a lot is profits. Um, I don't know. If I think everybody has access to that, not just yes. elite members, but we had, I think, first stab at it. And it really gives you an insight into the business profitability. A lot of things you don't realize, whether it's your shipping fees or your monthly storage fees, it's very hard to find that information on your normal seller central account. So using profits is very helpful. And then the new follow-up features are obviously uh, a big help. We have a product that we kind of need to give some special instructions for and being able to get a hold of those customers on a timely basis, whether it's within two days of the product arriving or whatever it is, getting that out to all the customers is a huge, huge uh, 
help for our company. That's cool. That's cool that you mentioned those two tools. Those one year ago, we didn't even have those tools, but we're trying to, and now they're your favorite two tools in the suite. So if anybody else has some kind of suggestion on a certain tool that, you know, we don't have yet, but we want to, that you want us to have, make sure to let us know. Actually, I can't tell Chris right now, by the time you guys are listening to this episode, everybody's going to know, but tomorrow he's going to be the very first person as an elite member to find out about a brand new tool that we're going to, that we're going to release soon. So again, Chris, thank you very much for your time here. And we'll be, we'll be seeing you in the elite workshop.